Hello and welcome to Seminole Rap. I'm Tim Allenball and today I will be joined by Kevin Little to discuss North Carolina and then later on we'll be talking to David Stout about recruiting. But Florida State does play North Carolina Tar Heels Saturday primetime on ESPN and I am joined by the one and the only Kevin Little of Triple Option, of X's and Knowles, of everything and anything that is Florida State related. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's one of my favorite times of the week where I get to uh, talk and pick your brain about what uh, what it's going to look like when Florida State takes on their opponent this upcoming week. So let's jump right into it. North Carolina Tar Heels, I think, ranked fifth in the nation. This is the second straight week Florida State is playing the fifth-ranked team in the nation last week with Notre Dame. Let me just start off. Is North Carolina a better team than Notre Dame? No. <laughs> All right. Well, we're already we're already uh, starting off with the positive. So um, let's just go ahead and, and and go to the offensive side of the ball because I think that's the side of the ball that everybody's probably most familiar with with North Carolina because their quarterback is the one, the only Sam Howell, former Florida State commit. Thank you, Walt Bell. So let's start with the offense. What's their scheme? Uh, what should Florida State expect to see coming out of the North Carolina side on Saturday? Yeah, so North Carolina's offensive coordinator, Phil Longo, considers himself an air raid guy. But if you look at their uh, kind of distribution of pass plays and run plays, he's about <clears throat> he's probably about 55% running the ball. So he actually doesn't have the spread you'd expect for an air raid guy you know when you think of air raid you think of mike leach throwing the ball like 70 80 times a game he's not like that he's he's more of like a super spread kind of air raid guy it's kind of a nebulous term but <laughs> he uh <clears throat> you see a lot of screens you see a fair amount of rpo posts that's probably like their number one play they love the rpo post if you start clearing out the box, they'll start running counter plays right in your face, which happens to be the same play that Notre Dame gas just on several times. So uh, they they love their gap schemes. They love their RPOs. Uh, there's even a rumor that in their playbook somewhere, there's just a route called the get open route where the wide receiver has complete freedom to just do whatever he wants to get open. I mean, with a quarterback like Sam Howell, I'm not surprised there's quote unquote a get open route because he's a quarterback that almost looks like somebody you would be playing pickup football with in your neighborhood as a kid. He's just going to keep scrambling, keep scrambling and keep scrambling until somebody gets open and then he's going to chuck it. Yeah. Sam Howell's the perfect fit for their offense. I'm not going to lie. I you hate that he doesn't come to Florida state, but for as a person, I think he found a good fit for himself. <laughs> so let's talk about Sam Howell, um, a threat, running a threat throwing uh is this somebody that florida state can defend um until we prove otherwise i don't know if there's too many people <laughs> i'd confidently say that they can defend but um yeah i he's he's definitely a talented kid he can do all aspects of the game the the only knock on his game i would have is sometimes he tries to do too much mm -hmm. um, and he'll throw a, a dumb interception 40 yards downfield or he'll get sacked but i think he's getting better at that and I don't think it's nearly the issue it would have been his first few games when he started yeah I, I kind of always think of Sam Howell as like a poor man's Baker Mayfield 
Yeah, that's what I, then when I saw his film, when he first committed to Florida State, I was like, this guy reminds me so much of Baker Mayfield. But yeah, I, I get that exactly. So who are some wide receivers that we should know that Florida State could be, uh, that Sam Howell could use to get open play and beat Florida State? Um, they have Deami Brown, who's a, who's a talented guy, and Daz Newsome. Those are really their big two. Bo Corrales is in there uh, getting a decent amount of receptions as well between those three they're going to pretty much share most of the receptions um, and they're all good and because they're an air raid scheme one of the things that makes the air raid specific is the fact that the receivers have specific positions and the receivers get pretty even receptions across the board so in a lot of spread schemes you'll see one receiver get like two-thirds of the receptions but and in their in their game, you can pretty much expect that they're going to spread it around to whoever has the advantage. So it should be an even distribution. So it's not like Florida State can key on one receiver. Right. I, they yeah, they'd be dumb too because the other two are also just as talented. <laughs> so running the ball is it mainly Sam Howe? Uh, I almost said Baker Mayfield, but is it mainly Sam Howe, or do they have a pretty good running back there? They have two really good running backs, unfortunately. Um, if you look at the pro football focus grades, they're actually the two best players on their offense are their two running backs. You have Javante Williams, who's more of a power style guy, but still has a little speed. And, and then you have Michael Carter, who's the, the more scat back. You'll see more passes to him out of the backfield and just getting him in space. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit of that, like Leon Washington, Lorenzo Booker type feel, but right. Um, their top five team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Florida state played against a monster offensive line in, in Notre Dame. Um, just, just, they were manhandled to, to put it lightly by, by Notre Dame's offensive line. Does North Carolina have that type of offensive line or is it, is it an offensive line that I know, <laughs> I know it's Florida state. I know it's their defense, but it is, is it an offensive line that this defensive line has the opportunity to win battles against? So realistically, that's the only way you can beat North Carolina. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I haven't, they do a good job of taking the game out of the, the offensive line's hands. So I, it's really hard to tell on film, like how vulnerable they are at the offensive line position. I think they're going to struggle to get points on the board against Clemson, like everybody does and against better uh, defensive lines because you can basically just beg them to run the ball and then just beat them at the point of attack I, I don't think they don't have nearly the offensive line that Notre Dame does so hearing you say that are, are they uh get the ball out quick type offense is that why you their offensive line isn't exposed yeah they're gonna get the ball out quick Longo's philosophy is that he puts the reads on the wide receivers and so it makes it easier on the quarterback so it's on the wide receivers to find the find the holes in the defense to find the gaps and the quarterback is just able to take one or two steps and throw it to a guy that he's been staring down the whole time and so they do get the ball out fast and even when they throw the deep ball which they do pretty often it's just one two release you know that's really frightening to hear you <laughs> describe that kind of uh, uh offense because i feel like that's the offense that has just annihilated florida state this year yeah it, it's a very similar con conceptual scheme to what miami's doing 
Do you see anywhere where Florida State's defense might have an advantage? If they if they can win across the line of scrimmage, I think that you can shut down North Carolina. Um, but right now, I've been not looking forward to this matchup all year because our linebackers look lost when people do RPO posts, and North Carolina is probably going to run that play 30 times on us. So can you kind of break down what an RPO post will look like? Yeah, so basically the offensive line is just doing an inside zone blocking, which is just they take one step to the gap side, every single one of them. So they all kind of take this like little step and uh, the quarterback reads the first linebacker or sometimes he's a nickel corner outside of the outside of the box. And if that guy comes towards the running back, he's going to throw a post behind him, which is just like a deep slant. So mm-hmm. it's an in-breaking upfield route. If he stays back to cover the post, then he's just going to hand the ball off and they're going to have numbers either way. And our linebackers have just kind of shown this year that in situations like that, they make sure they don't cover either option. Ideally, how do you defend that? So the way that people have decided to try to defend that, because, I mean, if you think back to it, if anybody watches the NFL, Nick Foles basically won a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles doing that play, like, a third of the time. So the way they figured it out is the res- the linebacker that's being read should stay back and cover the post and force the quarterback to give the ball. And the other linebacker should see that happening and blitz the gap. So basically you have to have a coordination between your linebackers where the one that's being read stays back and the one that's not attacks the running game, knowing that the run is coming to him. If that makes sense. It it makes perfect sense, but it will make terrible sense (laughs) in the game for Florida State's linebackers. Yeah, it's kind of hard to do. But if you're if the running back is on the other side of you, you should probably be attacking the line of scrimmage. Makes sense. So your expectation points wise, North Carolina is going to score how many points against Florida State? Forty (laughs) five. Okay, I, I was thinking like 42. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we could be seeing a repeat of, of last week. All right, so let's jump to the defensive side of the ball and let's go from the uh, let's go to the front to the back. Let's start with North Carolina, North Carolina's defensive line, defensive tackles, defensive ends. What's their scheme that they're running there? So North Carolina, I don't know if I ever talked about this on uh, Seminole rap, but on my Miami video, I talked about fire zones. This is something. Manny Diaz likes to do in Miami and Jay Bateman, the defensive coordinator for North Carolina likes to do something similar as well. So basically they play a lot of zone defense, but what that allows them to do is that allows them to be pretty exotic in their pressure packages. So they could pretty much bring anybody. You'll see them bring a safety that you'll see, see them bring a corner on any given, but the, the common misconception is, that they blitz all the time because you'll see this safety coming up or you'll see a corner coming up. But what they do is they'll drop a defensive lineman or a linebacker out of the box whenever they do that. And so they're always only bringing four or five, but because you never know where those four or five are coming from, it's hard to prepare for and they get extra pressure than you would out of a normal four or five person pressure. That makes sense. Um, you kind of every once in a while see Florida State do a little bit similar where they'll drop a defensive end or somebody out in coverage. Yeah. Uh, but obviously not to the success that Miami or North Carolina probably has ran it. So 
On the defensive line, who's a name to know? Uh, there hasn't been anybody that really stands out. I'm, There's I'm, I'm good Rucker. with that. I'm good with um, that. <laughs> but uh, they just I, – I haven't been super impressed by their defense. I don't have a ton of names on the defense because, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to memorize names of people that are giving up 45 points. <laughs> hey, hey now, I know most <laughs> of Florida State's defensive players. Yeah, I think good. you've got a vested interest. <laughs> um, no, I mean, that's that's promising in that this could turn into a shootout that maybe Florida State could possibly win. So let's 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 switch the conversation. How can Florida State take advantage of North Carolina's defensive line? So they play a lot of zone and I'm not convinced that uh, it's good zone. Mm-hmm. If that's if that makes any sense, if you're able to block them, pretty much every team has had some success throwing the ball. Boston College of all teams threw for over 300 yards against North Carolina. Syracuse had a decent amount of yards. I just didn't ever convert them to points. Um, And even what I think is interesting, Virginia Tech had a lot of rushing yards. And so all the North Carolina fans are like, oh, our our linemen, our linebackers suck, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is, how do we let them have 300 rushing, or I guess it was 260 rushing yards. And it's not because the linebackers were bad or the the defensive line was bad, but Virginia Tech did this thing where they put three receivers to one side and a tight end on the nub side by himself. And so basically what that does is it forces the tackle to be made by either that safety or the corner. And so in a way, Virginia Tech was able to take advantage of North Carolina's weaker secondary by running at them, which I think was an interesting thing. So they basically just ran to the nub side every time? Yeah, they, they did it down the field a couple times for hmm. for touchdowns. We've seen Florida State use that same type of offensive uh, or layout, right, with three on one side and the nub tight end on, on that other end? Yeah, I would definitely expect that to happen until they adjust because I don't think that that boundary corner and safety are ready to come up and make a tackle. Um, have we seen Florida State run to the nub side? Yeah, they'll run to the nub side, but they'll also do reads where the the running back will go to the nub side. And um, so that's technically running to the nub side, even though everybody wants Jordan Travis to pull the ball. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, so that's that's promising. So um, what's another area do you feel like Florida State could have success against this defense? I haven't seen too much pass rush. I think whoever we have is going to – well, that's not true they either get to the quarterback real fast or they don't like, you know, like if you pick up their blitz, I don't think they have any like studs that are just going to rip through the line, but it's just being coordinated enough to know where the blitz is coming and being able to pick it up. Uh, Tommy DeVito for Syracuse in game one was able to slip out and had like 40 or 50 yards rushing just off of scrambles. And so if Jordan Travis's eyes are up or, whoever's playing quarterback, then that's that's going to be open, right? right? When when you start bringing random people off the edge, something you have to sacrifice is a little bit of gap integrity. And so those people might be too spread out or they might be not covering their lanes correctly and it just makes it easier to leak out. Yeah, and I should note that Kevin and I are having this conversation with the assumption that Jordan Travis is your starter and that his hand is, is fully healed. We haven't heard anything... <laughs> 
We haven't heard anything to say the opposite, but we are recording this Wednesday morning, so that could change. So I think back to the Miami game, the third quarter, Jordan Travis comes in and he has moderate success against Miami and that defense until he hurts his foot. That gives me some hope that that Jordan Travis is going to be playing against a similar defense that's probably that doesn't have the the cats I think as you say that Miami <laughs> has, right? So this is this is the defense that Florida State should be able to score against, right? Oh yeah, I, I fully anticipate Florida State to get into the thirties. I yeah. that's the hope. <laughs> that's the hope. Um, so let me just touch on one more thing, and then we'll just kind of talk about maybe a general idea on the score. So we talked about the running. Uh, we talked about the pass rush, either getting there or not. Can Florida State throw, um, you know, pretty easily against North Carolina? Or uh, I know they're not great at tackling, but is the secondary able to provide pretty good coverage? See, that's that's the thing is if he's able to have time, I think the passing game is is where you've got to attack North Carolina. They're going to be playing pretty soft zone. They're going to be watching Jordan Travis. They're going to be trying to make sure that he can't run. And, you know, just hitting like little hitches to Terry or slants to Terry, getting him out in space, getting Helton out in space with the ball. I think those are all going to be big things. And I, I think you can find a lot of success doing that. So this could end up being a pretty fun game to watch if you don't like defense. <laughs> if Florida State wants a chance, they need to make it a barn burner. Yes. Okay. All right. So I, I, you've kind of insinuated you're thinking like 45, 30 something. Mm-hmm. Is, is that your thought on this game? Yeah, probably somewhere in the like 45 to 35 range. I, I think North Carolina probably, you know, they just have been together for another year. I like both of their coordinators. I think Mac Brown is a CEO coach at this point in his career, and I think he's done a good job of being a CEO. I think mm-hmm. Phil Longo is a talented offensive coordinator and Jay Bateman. I, I like his scheme and I, th- I think he's doing well with it. So I, I like them in this game, but if Florida state keeps it close against another top five team, you can't be ashamed. I, I don't think North Carolina is an actual top five team, but you know, in, in this day and age right now they are. And so I don't know. I, I think that if we keep it close and we have a chance to win it, I'll be stoked. At so, one, four. <laughs> one last question. Um, last week, we really thought Florida State has no shot of beating Notre Dame, mm-hmm. uh, even though they, they were able to keep it, I mean, close in, in some sense, not very close in other senses. Is this a game uh, that Florida State does have a shot to win it? Yeah, I would definitely say they have a shot. North uh, First Notre Dame, you just – you weren't going to win the man on matchups at the end of the day. If Notre Dame needed a touchdown, they were going to just push it down your throat, four straight downs all the way down the field, and you're not going to stop them. North Carolina, I don't see them having that. Their athletes aren't necessarily better than ours right now, um, and they probably won't be for another couple of years. I think they play better together. They've played together longer. They've had more consistency at the coordinator positions, but we definitely have a shot to win this. We definitely – should have the talent to be able to keep up with them, even without the coordination that we that they necessarily have. Perfect. That's a great response. I'm telling everybody that Kevin Little said Florida State's going to win on Saturday. 
please do just just an answer to the world uh if you want more of kevin and his insight go to his x's and nulls youtube channel he's got a lot of great information there he's also part of tomahawk nation's new um segment triple option with with adam brown and the one the man the myth the legend trey roland and his mustache so check out what they're doing over there it's great stuff they're, they've got a lot of film breakdown a lot of good information and kevin as always thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. All right, see ya. All right, I want to thank Kevin Little again for breaking down uh, Florida State's upcoming game against North Carolina. Hopefully we can see an upset. Uh, but at this point, we're going to talk about what's probably my favorite thing about college football, and that's the recruiting scene. That's what took me to war chants so many years ago, which then looked uh, linked me to Tomahawk Nation and where I met this guy, who I would consider the king of all recruiting when it comes to Tomahawk Nation. He's no through and through on the boards, but he's David Stout. David, how are you, buddy? Hey, what's up, Tim? Fellow fellow war chant outcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I can still remember all those years ago, the defensive coordinator search hot board is what got me over to Tomahawk Nation. Oh, yeah, man. I remember freaking out when uh, Fred Rouse committed to FSU back in the day. <laughs> it's uh it's crazy i i can remember up in louisville kentucky it's really hard to follow recruiting uh it, it, i mean it used to be uh you know now it's easily but back in the back in like the early 2000s it was so hard to find information and i can remember like checking war chant religiously <laughs> for updates on marvin austin yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> not odell's best moment <laughs> but speaking of a good Odell moment. If I was if I was to title this recruiting segment, David, it would be the good, the bad, and the unknown. <laughs> which let's start with the good, which was four-star defensive lineman Shambray Jackson commits to Florida State this past week, possibly an Odell special. But David, should fans be excited about Jackson? Oh, super, super jazzed about Jackson. I mean, it's so nice. And, and one of the posts I made in, um, I forget which story it was, but I put on there, you know, Shambry Jackson, we called this months ago. You know, Josh and I called this months ago. And we don't say that to brag or anything like that. We say that because we've been talking about it so long. And now that it finally happened, we just don't want people to take take this for granted because this is an enormous commitment uh, for Odell and for Mike Norvell because I mean Shambry Jackson when you're when you're looking at him you're looking at a guy who has really really good versatility along the defensive line and that's probably what FSU needs more than anything right now is help along those trenches Um, he's a local guy you know he's down in Orlando and Boone and everybody wanted this kid. I mean, he Alabama loves him. All of the SEC schools really wanted him. Like, this is a huge commitment for Odell. We're hard on him a lot of times because, you know, I would argue that his his recruiting has definitely slipped. And he Odell's always been kind of a hit-or-miss recruiter anyway. But his recruiting, I think, has definitely slipped in the last few years. So we want to make sure that we do give him uh, props when they're earned. And he definitely gets props on this one. So you, you mentioned the versatility of Jackson. So he plays defensive end primarily in high school. Florida State may see him as a defensive tackle. What is it about Jackson that gives him this 
again, using the word versatility to line up at either position. Yeah, it's that's going to be the most thing, the, the most interesting thing to watch with with Jackson is where does FSU actually put him? Um, I think he'll end up starting at defensive end. I think that's probably where the biggest need is going to be. And I think it's it's probably a little easier to contribute earlier at defensive end than defensive tackle. But what allows him, you know, to kind of bounce between these things is he's got the ideal frame for a defensive lineman at this level of football. I mean, he's he's right around, you know, sites have him listed. One site has him listed as 6'2". His huddle site has him listed at 6'6". So I'm like, yeah, let's just split down the middle. Let's say he's six foot four, you know, around 260 pounds. But he's got a frame to add a lot more weight and muscle that if you want him to bulk up and be a three tech or nose guard, like he can he can definitely do that. If you want him to slim a little bit and kind of keep where he's at and work on speed and edge techniques, he can be a defensive end for you. I mean, what you love about Jackson when you watch his tape, the first thing that pops out to you is he has a relentless motor. I mean, he never stops. It's and it's it's got to be just horrific to line up against a guy like that because he just doesn't get tired. He's he's always relentless. Um, he's very strong for his age. Uh, he, you know, there's, there's always going to be more strength you need to add, especially in the lower body, but he's a very strong kid for his age. And I mean, he can set the edge really well, and but he can also get to the quarterback. Um, he's shown that he's adept so far that he can fight through double teams when he needs to. Um, I'd say right now his strength is probably run stopping. You know, he can really stuff the line and he can sniff out kind of where the play is going. He's got good pursuit angles and has good instincts as far as where the ball carrier is going to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of tools that you really, really like. And um, I think this is really exciting that FSU got him. Does anybody come to mind, and I'm springing this on you, and I, I apologize I didn't kind of forewarn you. Does anybody come to mind when you think of Chumber Jackson, like comparison, not saying that he's going to be this player exactly, but just kind of the mold that that he already has established oh sure yeah the, this question has come up a few times in the comments section and um when you're looking at fsu specific players you know you hear demarcus walker a lot he's got a similar frame to demarcus walker he's got really long arms um and again he's got those broad shoulders barrel chest like he has the frame that he can bulk up more um, so he, he does look a little bit like Demarcus Walker. Um, I've also seen Frank Clark uh, used to play at Michigan. Now he plays for the Chiefs, I think. I've seen that comparison. But a comparison that I really, really like once I saw it is that and this is going a little bit further back is Brandon Graham. So Brandon Graham used to play at Michigan and he ended up being a uh, first round pick by the Eagles in 2010. And Brandon Graham was actually he, – he played linebacker in high school, but he grew into a defensive end position. And he reminds me quite a bit of Shambry Jackson. I mean, he's they've got similar body types. They've got similar just the relentless motor, you know, look like a man among boys tossing, you know, ragdolling offensive linemen at the high school level. But I, I don't know, man. I, there's just something when I watched Brandon Graham's film back in high school and then even when he was at Michigan, I see some Shambry Jackson in him. I, I definitely do. And, I mean, if Jackson – can be you know half the player that Brandon Graham turned out to be FSU's getting a really good player yeah Brandon Graham's a uh, was a stud for the Eagles for a few years there so yeah that would that would be great um the one thing that that stands out about Jackson to me is already something that happened this year in high school I think it's a I think it's a punt block that he picks up and takes the house I mean and he goes about 40 45 yards and 
for a man his size, he's pretty much outrunning everybody on the field. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was crazy, man. It looked like he had a rocket up his rear end when he was going that far. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing to see somebody that big. And you knew he wanted that touchdown. <laughs> as soon as he scooped it, his eyes were on that end zone line. It was, it was really cool to see that. Yeah, that's not a that's not something that the big guys get to do often. So you know he was all about that. Um, looking at his film, what would you say is the area that he most needs to improve on? Yeah, so I mean he's he definitely he's he's since he's so strong, I think he oftentimes relies on that strength because you know he's going up against kids who definitely are not going to play at the next level, and I think that. Anytime you do that, if you're just a, a head and shoulders better athlete or just way stronger or just a lot bigger, you know, you can kind of get lazy sometimes and just rely on that because, you know, you don't have to work as hard because you're going to get what you want anyway. So I would say, you know, when it comes to Jackson, if we can get him like an array of pass rushing moves, if they decide to to put him at defensive end, I mean, you get him a nasty swim move or a cut move, you know, just any of those any of those kinds of moves, I think it could be pretty devastating down the line. But then if you want him to, to stay in the middle and clog up the lane, I think you're really looking at, you know, just overall lower body strength and leverage, uh, making sure that he's dipping his hips like he needs to and just making sure that he doesn't get caught up. Um, you know, you know, being held up in blocks and double teams and stuff like that. But I think um, really what he needs to work on the most is really going to depend where FSU decides they want to put him. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where where FSU ends up putting him. But I think, you know, anytime you're looking at a defensive lineman, you're going to have to look at make sure that the conditioning is good, uh, that the strength is improving, and really that they're, that they're, you know, using their hands violently when they're trying to shed blocks and and those kinds of things. But everything that you see on the, the film and everything that Jackson says, you know, online and stuff like that, it makes it seem like he's definitely coachable, which is a big deal. It's funny when you talk about that defensive end with learning the, the variety of, of moves over there. It makes me think of Josh Griffiths, who was in this past class, who's already seen playing time. One, he's undersized. He's not your ideal defensive end. But the one thing that everybody liked about him was when he went to IMG, they really developed those different def- defensive pass moves, like a swim move or a push-pull or, or you know, just to get get themselves to the to quarterback. So if you can get those type of moves, I mean, granted, he's not going to get the coaching at Boone that he gets, you know, they get at IMG, but once he gets on that college level um, – you know, he could be an instant impact type player. Do you feel that way? I, I think you're exactly right. And I, I'm glad you brought up Josh Griffiths. He he is such a hard worker, man. I mean, you know, you talk about a guy who who knows that he's not going to be the best athlete on the field, not going to be the biggest guy in the field, but he just works his butt off. So I'm glad I'm glad to get some some Griffiths props <laughs> up on here. But, um, you know, I'd say with with Jackson, whether he's ready or not, he's probably going to be in the rotation right off the bat. Um, particularly if they keep him at defensive end, uh, FSU just really, really needs help there. And so, you know, the, the tricky thing about that is you hope that, that you don't press them into action too quickly so that they don't have enough time to kind of get rid of some of the bad habits they get in high school and even back as far as middle school. 
But, uh, you know, I think that he's definitely I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't say he's an automatic starter. He's not you know, he's not Jadavian Clowney coming in or anything like that. But I do think you're looking at a guy who's going to see the field and is not going to take a red shirt. He's going to be in the rotation. Um, And it may be one of those situations where FSU kind of eases him into things. And, you know, by the end of the season, he's he's playing up to a quarter of action. But uh, we know that they like to rotate their guys. And so I I think that it's a good bet that he's going to be playing as a true freshman. Well, that's awesome to hear. You know, I, Florida State needs some players that can have an instant impact, especially in the defensive end position. That depth is just it, it's brutal right now. Uh, and so with Jackson, and you might see Turner coming in on, on, on pass plays because he's a little more of a speed rusher. So it's good to hear that Jackson's going to have an impact. Positive news for Florida State recruiting. Let's kind of wrap it up with the unknown. I would say, you know, we had you on here a few weeks back and we talked about the, the 2022 class because we feel like there's so much going on there. But one of the reasons is because I feel like for the 2021 class, there's just a lot of unknown with how they're going to finish up this class because there's really only a few names that are out there that Florida State's kind of really showing a lot of love to. And a lot of the names are already off the board. So, I mean... Just in a, in a few minutes or less, what are your thoughts on how they're going to finish this class? Yeah, sure. I, unknown is the exactly – that's the appropriate term for this because we really – you know, with the transfer portal and something to consider too, Mike Norvell and his staff, especially at Memphis, they have really strong ties with different junior colleges. They relied on that quite a bit you know, and building up Memphis into what it was. And so with that, we you're right, man. We just don't know. We don't know how many high schoolers they want to round out this class. We don't want to, we don't know if they're trying to save, you know, a certain number of scholarships for, for JUCO kids or for transfer portal guys. Um, I do think that they're going to look really heavily at the transfer portal for the two lines, you know, offensive and defensive line. I think that's going to be a serious um, push for them. And even today, you know, we got word that they're looking at a wide receiver who just entered the the portal his name's Youngblood um, he's from Kansas State originally from Tampa and he's a dynamite punt returner and kick returner and so with that you know we just don't know what we're gonna do you know because we look at the wide receiver group and we're like man I wouldn't think you know I think they'd be prioritizing other positions over wide receiver but it just shows you this staff they're gonna they're gonna turn over every rock and stone to find kids that are gonna help them so yeah it's tricky and, and I'll start with um, you know, the, the position group that I think is the most confounding with this, and that's running back. And so we really haven't seen them sell out for any running back prospects, you know, this cycle. And, you know, you've got guys, the the three key names that keep getting mentioned are Jalen White from Alabama, um, who originally was supposed to decide, you know, about a week ago, and then he pushed that back. Uh, you've got Byron Cardwell from California. And then you've got Katravian Hargrove from Louisiana and Cardwell and Hargrove have not visited campus yet. And so, you know, I taking that with a grain of salt, I just I don't know that FSU could could bring somebody in at that level from California or Louisiana without having them on campus. Um, and another name you hear is, is Thad Franklin, the running back that's committed to Miami. I think he sticks with Miami. I, I don't know that FSU's really got a chance there. But, you know, it's interesting because Jalen White has been to campus a few times, but we just we know that the staff has stayed in contact with all these guys, but we just don't know how hard they're pushing for them because Norvell has had a lot of success uh, at previous stops with just finding, you know, these guys who profile maybe as a slot receiver, but then he just turns them into a weapon. 
happen and they become, you know, a, a dual threat running back pass catching threat out of the backfield. And so, you know, you find guys like Corey Wren and Ja'Kai Douglas and and um, you, maybe you don't need, you know, a, a traditional running back kind of a thing. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Um I don't know, man. I, I, I'm not quite sure that they take one. I don't know if they maybe find one from a transfer portal. But if I had to bet on it, I would say that they'll get one running back from the high school level. Um, but I, I couldn't tell you who it is because we just don't know who they're prioritizing at this point. Um, wide receiver, they've got two really good commitments at wide receiver in uh, Malik McLean and Josh Burrell. Those guys are both you know, pretty big, stocky receivers. And they're still working hard on um, Destin, uh, used to go by Destin Paisan, but now he is Destin Hill. But the nickname hasn't changed. He's still fat. Um, So they're still working on him. And and I think FSU still is in the leader position there. But Florida has made a big push. Um, Some other schools have made a big push for him. So FSU's definitely got some work to do uh, to land him. And the staff really, really likes J.J. Henry. He's a slot receiver outside of um, – or uh, from Texas. He's not visited campus yet, but um, uh, supposedly uh, Dillingham really loves this kid. And so, I don't know, he might be a tough pull to get out of the state of Texas, but you never know, man. I mean, they do need a slot receiver, I think, and, and he'd fit the bill. Um, my boy, Keon Coleman, is back on the market. We know that uh, I never gave up hope on him, man. I, I love this kid, and I would, if I could will anybody to Florida State right now, it would be Keon Coleman because I think his upside is tremendous. But we do know that FSU has uh, been in contact with him since he decommitted, so he could still be an option. Um, and then, you know, one of the other competitive competitor websites out there has been pushing this idea that Dante Thornton, um, the wide receiver, could come to FSU. I I think that's uh, BS. I, I wouldn't spend an iota of time thinking about him in FSU. So really the names to watch are going to be Hill, Henry, and Coleman. Um, and I think they could take two more, um, maybe just one. We'll see. Offensive line, I mean, you've got dwindling options there. They've got three high school kids already and you know, you've got names out there like Raquan Buckley, who pushed off his uh, commitment ceremony. He pushed off back a little bit. You've got um, Jacoby Jackson, who decommitted from, uh, I think, TCU. And we know that um, uh, Coach Atkins still really likes him and is pushing for him. Uh, I, I would, If I had to guess, I'd say he goes to Baylor. And then we've got this intriguing uh, name out of Arizona, Zaraway Williams, who is a six foot eight converted basketball player, but he is a big time project. Like he's a kid you bring in, you stash him away for three years, and then hopefully he turns out to be, you know, Walter Jones after that. But there's really not a lot of high school offensive linemen left on the board that are that are legitimate targets. Um, so again, I think the transfer portal is going to be huge as FSU tries to to rebuild this thing. Um, defensive lineman, you know, at defensive end, you've got kind of the unknown kid, Ian Matthews, that could be an Odell special. Um, I don't think he's very special personally. I, again, I think he's a project to, you know, again, could you could have him for three years and then have nothing. But I guess, you know, coaches like him. But the one that I'm really looking at is Taiwan Malone, um, the defensive tackle from uh, the Northeast up there. He's really interested in baseball as well. And I know that um, baseball and football are kind of tag team in this. And I'll tell you what, if there's a kid, I've been saying it in the threads, if there's a kid I think that FSU can sneak away and kind of get an upset for, I think it's Taiwan Malone. If they can get him on campus, look out.
out because he it was huge that he released his finalist list and Ohio State was not on that list. Um, with Ohio State not being on there, I think if FSU gets Taiwan Malone on campus, you could be looking at a, at a stud defensive tackle committing to Florida State. And then linebacker, I know that you know people are really worried about that position now, which I understand losing Brandon Jennings hurts. But um, one name to keep an eye on is Patrick Payton. He is a current commitment to Nebraska. He's from Miami. Um, Miami and Florida State are both trying to get him to flip. Um, I don't know what the chances are. Again, I think FSU would have to get him on campus. But even if they do land him, he's definitely not the caliber that that Jennings is going to be. But he's still a nice prospect and something to consider, too. You know, if, if Jennings does ultimately decide to go elsewhere, maybe they hold on to um, – uh, oh, gosh, I forgot his name – Fuller. Maybe they hold on to Fuller. Maybe they actually keep him in this class. So, you know, to be seen there. And then the last big name is um, Terry and Arnold, the local defensive back. So FSU is definitely in third place for him. They're running behind Alabama and uh, Florida and maybe even Georgia at this point. But it's funny, man. He hasn't committed yet, and he supposedly uh, attended a Florida State game. I think he attended the Georgia Tech game on his own dime. So I don't know. Maybe he's just hanging around and, and trying to give FSU a reason to to make him not want to leave town. So I don't think they'll land him at this point, but I, I don't think you can count him out either. It's, it's definitely worth watching. But, yeah, man, I think the story of this is going to be how many more high school pro- projects do they bring in versus how many guys can you get from the transfer portal, from JUCO, who are going to be immediate help for you. Um, I kind of hope they go more to the latter, more than the former, but we'll see. And we know that they're super active in the class of 2022 in high school. So it'll be it'll be interesting. If I had to guess, I think they'll probably bring in four to five more high school players, and then they'll fill the rest out with JUCO and uh, transfer portal guys. Yeah. <clears throat> Terry on Arnold's a, a guy I think that's definitely an instant impact and, and Malone also could definitely, you know, see time next year if they were both to commit. And, and those are probably the two biggest names left on the board. It, and if you include Jennings as well. So, you know, David, I really appreciate that rundown. It, it kind of clears up the murky waters. That is the unknown recruiting for Florida state. But I, I do kind of lean with what you've said and what Josh has said previously I think 2021 is going to be defined by what they do with the JUCO and the transfer ranks. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be portal central, and I think it needs to be, man. I, you know, they it is very clear that they need contributors right off the bat. And whether you get them for one year, whether you get them for two or three, you've got to have those guys in order to keep making progress, especially along the lines. And so, Tim, I'll leave you with one hot take. I got one hot take for you, man. It has nothing to do with recruiting. So I'm going to say this. I, th- I cannot say enough about the job that Alex Atkins is doing with this offensive line. I mean, when you look at this offensive line and you look at the actual players and the depth on this offensive line, to see them play the way they did against Notre Dame is nothing short of incredible. And here's my hot take. I think when it's all said and done, Alex Atkins is going to be the best offensive line coach that Florida State has had since Brad Scott. And I think that he absolutely will be a head coach one day. And I really hope FSU can hold on to him for a while because he is he is dynamite. He is a hell of a coach. And I really hope that Florida State can hold on to him because the kids respond to him well. And I I just can't say enough about how well he's done with what he's been given. You know, Dave, I don't know if that's a hot take. I think that's just, <laughs> I, I think that is something that everybody 
hopefully has realized by now that Atkins is probably the best assistant on this staff and maybe he's just the best coach period on this staff. I consider it a hot take because I, you know, my, my background is wide receiver and stuff. So I don't know anything about offensive line. So anytime I talk about them, I, I run the risk of ruining my full reputation. So that's, I'm willing to go out on a branch for Atkins. David, nothing's going to taint your reputation here at Tomahawk Nation, man. I, I really appreciate it. I'd encourage everybody to go check out our recruiting thread that's always hopping on the website. David, David is the I don't I think David's a robot sometimes. He's so active in that site. He's like he's got like a bot program to to respond to everybody that's in there. So if you got any questions, bring it his way. He'll be glad to answer. David, thank you so much for lifting my spirits, and I hope to talk to you soon, buddy. Hey, you got it, Tim. Just how amazing is it to be able to listen to such beautiful football minds? And then how terrible is it that you have to come and listen to me right after? Perry Kostadek is here with you. Thank you to Kevin. Thank you to David. And always thank you to Tim for bringing us to the end, which is where you come to me. Um, Just a few quick FSU news tidbits. Um, I know some people were worried about Jordan Travis's hand after Saturday's game when he had to get subbed out. He says he's feeling 100% fine. Mike Norvell is kind of, he said the same thing every day. And then today, Wednesday, when he got asked about it again, he kind of just like didn't roll his eyes, but body language wise, he did. He was just kind of like, please stop asking me about this. I, he's going to play football. Um, Travis J still progressing, slight chance that we see him Saturday. But really, the big injury news tomorrow and Terry. Um, Knowles 247 dropped the report yesterday that he's expected to have knee surgery. Um, a minor knee surgery is expected to just be a little nice drain. Um, his knee has been bothering him for about a year now and it just kept swelling up and swelling up. And so, you know, it is a smart move to take care of this now. Um, just basically for his future, you know, it doesn't do anybody any good to have a struggling injured receiver out there. We saw that in the first two games, but really... The worst part of it, I mean, fan-wise, yeah, it sucks that he's not going to be out on the field, but on Tuesday, um, the media actually got to talk to Terry, and he like kind of got in his feelings a little bit, like a little bit in his feels about his struggles the first two games, how Mike Norvell talked to him, and kind of opened his eyes to the player he needed to be, the man he needed to be, what he needed to be working on right now to enrich himself, especially in like... You know, it's a hard year for everyone, but to lose a grandmother, to struggle, to have fans yelling at you on every social platform, you know, it's not fun. And to add in a knee surgery in a situation where he's going to have to sit on the sideline and watch his team fight against another top five opponent, you know, you feel for the kid. So I really hope that it is a minor surgery. I hope that he is back out on the field soon and that he is taking care of himself in like all possible ways. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, We have some more articles coming out in the coming days, previewing the UNC game, advanced analytics, look out from that from Jason Deloach. If you didn't get the chance to read Austin Cox's matchup history article that went up on the site on Wednesday, go ahead and check that out. On Saturday, we'll have our game day coverage from all angles. Everything from on-site coverage to social media to game day threads, which if you are not jumping in those and just purging all the misery and sadness and anger out of you with your fellow fans, you're missing out on a very 
productive emotional outlet. So if you haven't signed up for an account on the site yet, go ahead and do that. Go drop a comment, any thread, make fun of me. That's always a good way to get acclimated to the environment there. We will be back Saturday after the game with our Instant Reaction podcast. But until then, that's a wrap. Oh, my God.